Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. The Product Startup, episode 54. Dan and Justin with Milton, the Mealtime Companion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, where we talk about turning ideas into successful products step-by-step. I'm Philip Belitza, and thanks for listening today. In last episode, I was interviewed by guest host Kirsten Ross of Crowdfunding Uncut, and we talked about manufacturing, so make sure to check out episode 53 if you want to hear me answer the top questions I get about working with manufacturers, and we get a little bit into quality control as well. Let's get started with today's show. Dan, Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Philip. No problem. Hey, so I'm really excited to have you guys on because you, Dan, you were one of the early listeners of the show. I remember that we were going back and forth on Reddit in like 2016. And for a bit, we kind of dropped off because you were focused a lot on building Meals with Milton. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your journey to get there and what other products you've worked on before Milton. Yeah, happy to do it. And yeah, thanks again for having us on. So um, our company is called 60 LLC, and our sole product right now is Milton the Mealtime Companion. So Milton is a product to help parents of picky eaters uh, encourage the little ones to try new foods, eat healthy, and have fun along the way. So the product itself includes uh, the molded Milton character. So he's molded out of uh, food-grade silicone. Um, and then it also comes with a children's book titled Meet Milton. Um, so the Milton character is used by parents um, to encourage their their little ones at home to try new foods. And uh, it's great for picky eaters. Both Justin and I have uh, have little ones at home. I know you do as well. And the original idea came from um, something that a lot of parents do when, you know, when their little one is, you know, maybe a little tentative or afraid to try new food. You know, someone might say, hey, watch mommy take a bite of broccoli and they'll feed themselves and then kind of give their child the courage to try it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually called social modeling. Um, so it's, you know, like it sounds, it's a way to demonstrate uh, the positive behavior and, and encourage the child to do do the same thing. And so we had the idea of what if you encapsulate that into a product um, that would help parents, you know, because uh, when you have a picky eater at home, it can be quite stressful as, you know, as you may know, or other other listeners may know. And so it gets to the point where sometimes you're might be dreading mealtime or snack time and uh, can become stressful for everyone, both the child and the parent. Yeah, not for me. And I, I just prefer blending all the food up like steak and whatever. And you just kind of shove it in and then close the mouth and hope that it just stays down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you do have to try all things to see what works. Um. <laughs> Describe Milton for people that don't have access to the net right now and they're just listening while they're driving or at the gym. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, so he's uh, an aqua colored creature, um, an alien. Um, he's about maybe four and a half, five inches tall. Um, I think pretty cute looking. Um, and so, like I said earlier, he's molded from food grade silicone. And so, and he's hollow inside. So that allows parents, if you can imagine, you can squeeze his cheeks and his mouth opens wide. You can push up and down his head um, to make him chew, to make him talk. And so a parent can use him at either at the, you know, the meal table or on the high chair. Um, it's recommended for ages one through four, one through five. And so the parent can use him, you know, feed Milton a bite, see if he likes it. The child can practice using their utensil, feeding Milton a bite. 
Um, and then the parent might say something like, wow, so he likes it or, oh, well, he tried it. How about you try a bite? And it's pretty amazing the response uh, that we'll see from um, or hear from some of our parents when they um, then they do this with their children. You know, we've had parents talk about their kids trying all kinds of things from asparagus to one of their kids got really into lettuce and salads of all things. So, you know, again, using that social modeling technique to um, to encourage the child to try new foods and make it fun as well. Part of the aspect of picky eating is, is the stress involved. And so by by kind of removing some of that stress and bring a fun element into it, it can help encourage them to, to eat new foods. Yeah, Milton can be, you know, put right in the table with um, with the other foods, you know, right next to their plate. Um, we don't recommend that parents use them at every meal, but some some parents do. And it's, it's really a tool for parents that they can use as they see fit. Another interesting fact is when we were developing Milton, we, we wanted to make sure it was really a product that helped parents and not just some gimmick. Um, and so we actually partnered with a, uh, a pediatric feeding specialist. She's a speech language pathologist. And in working with her, you know, we, we, we kind of designed the product with her help as well as the book to make sure there was really a product that provided value to parents. So her name is Catherine Callahan. And one of the things we learned along the way working with her was that a lot of feeding therapists actually use a similar method in some of their practices where they might use a sock puppet or something else to kind of demonstrate and model um, good eating behavior and how you know how you chew, how you swallow, safe bite sizes, that kind of thing. Um, so she was really instrumental in developing the product. And I mentioned earlier the uh, the children's book called Meet Milton that comes with every product. In that book, it's a little story following Milton from his home on the moon where all the food was gray and bland and follows his journey ultimately to the children's home where the child kind of becomes the hero of the story. And with Milton's help, they, they try a lot of new foods. Uh, but throughout the book, uh, we have Catherine's tips sprinkled in. So in a way, this children's book also kind of doubles almost as an instruction manual for the parent on, on how to use Melton to encourage their child to to become a more courageous eater. Yeah, that's pretty great. No, so what's interesting about the way that you guys rolled out the product was that I like how you have a, a storybook that kind of goes along with it because we've heard since, uh, I don't know, I've heard at least for the last two years that marketing is going towards storytelling. And this is just like a, a literal interpretation of how to increase engagement for your product by telling a story and getting people wrapped up in the emotions of things. That is for sure. And with the book, it's almost like a physical um, version of that. Whereas like normally like, so my background is in industrial design. This is just enough. Um, and so we've always been taught to, when you're trying to sell your idea to tell the whole story about it. And like you said, companies now realize that you can't just sell the physical thing. You have to sell like the app that goes with it, the packaging that goes with it, the whole brand. Um, and so <clears throat> with Milton, we kind of created this little backstory for him. So the kid really becomes engaged in like who he is, where he comes from. And then when he, when the kid actually sees Milton in front of them, they're like, wow, he actually exists. You know, he's from this book. And so, that's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> We've had, it just remind me one thing. <clears throat> I know there's one parent in particular I remember who um, they purchased Milton after seeing it, I think on Instagram um, or maybe it was Reddit, somewhere like that. And um, and so the way they introduced Milton to their child, uh, which I really like was, you know, they, they got it home, say, you know, on a given day. That evening, they read just the book with their child and, and went through the story, but kind of like Justin was alluding to, didn't actually show, you know, the child Milton character. And then I don't know if it was the next morning at breakfast or at lunch, then Milton showed up. 
so that really gets the child kind of engaged and excited, which is important, I think, for, you know, for Milton to be successful. One thing we've seen is, you know, on occasion, you know, a parent might um, purchase Milton and just expect that, you know, pop on the table and, and that's that. And that's really not how it works. You know, it really is both the child and the parent using Milton as a tool to to introduce new foods and textures and smells into into the eating and feeding process. But I, I do think, to Justin's point, to your point, Philip, the, the book really, really kind of helps encapsulate everything. And, you know, that the book is something that's an interesting story, at least we think so. So so the child wants to go back and read it. And it's got some fun pictures and stuff, Milton, the grocery store and on the moon and a spaceship, that kind of stuff. So it's a way to kind of keep the child engaged and, and keep keep the system in use in the home. Yeah, I like that. And I think the takeaways for other people that are listening that are building products, you know, how can you incorporate that storytelling in what you're developing? And even if you don't have a kid's product, maybe there's a way of creating that mystery, right? Or that nostalgia or so that eliciting that emotional response somehow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and as you know, with the show, we kind of go through the steps of, of the product development process. So I wanted to pull back a little bit and ask you guys about developing Milton when, you know, if you think back to when it f you first had the idea and you'd started to, you know, sketch some designs and create some prototypes, how did you do that? All right. This is Justin again. I'll take that one. So Dan and I are both from the product development field. Um, Dan is a mechanical engineer and I'm an industrial designer. And so we realized early on that we complement each other's skills very well, as you probably know. But explain that to people that don't know what the difference is. So, <laughs> there's quite a difference. Now, um, <laughs> there's usually like a fake struggle between engineers and designers because they have different priorities, but honestly, <laughs> just depends on the person. Um, yeah. So designers typically will create the front end um, part of the design process, such as like the sketching like how the thing is going to work, how it should work, how the person is going to interact with it, um, what it's going to look like, what materials and colors and finishes it'll be made up of. Um, and then typically the engineer will bring that into fruition and make sure it's correctly designed for molding, for production, all the like fine details of like actual production of the product. Dan is the mechanical engineer. I'm the designer. Um, fortunately, he also speaks the language of a designer, and I speak the language of an engineer. And so we get along really well, we feel anyway, <laughs> most of the time. Um, and so that part of the process we found was pretty natural to us. So we started like any, any product. We started sketching ideas. We knew, once we knew we wanted to create a Milton-like little creature, we thought of how it had to have a large mouth. So the kid could put food in his mouth. Um, he can't tip over because the kid's going to want to like play with it, you know. Um, has to be easy to clean, dishwasher safe, all these things. So once we had like kind of like a guideline, we moved on from sketching. And then I took it into SolidWorks. That was our program that we used and made the actual 3D model of it. And nowadays, because you can 3D print, we had our first 3D print made by an outsource or we outsourced it. And we soon realized that we we're going to make multiple iterations of it. And so we just bought our own 3D printer. And that was an immense help because we printed off like, <laughs> I don't know, like 30 different versions of Milton and just to get them right. Yeah, we went through a lot there. Uh, one thing I was going to throw in real quick was one of the challenges that you just mentioned, like the mouth's got to be big enough so a you know, child can feed food in there easily or with a utensil or their fingers. 
was that the mouth kind of wanted to kept the top half of his head, the top of the mouth wanted to kind of sag and close. And so getting that right, um, and so having a 3D printer just to be able to rapidly iterate different designs was incredibly helpful. Indeed. Yeah, people will ask me all the time about prototyping and if they need to buy a 3D printer. And I usually say the same thing that you said, that if you're only going to be printing one thing, uh, it's not really worth buying one. But if you're going to be iterating, as you probably should be with prototyping, it'll, it'll pay for itself. Uh, assuming that you're okay with tinkering with a 3D printer, some of the models that are out there are definitely more DIY than, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, than ready for like mass market appeal. Did you guys get a, a big brand name printer or did you get something that you cobbled together yourselves? Um, it's kind of uh, in between. It's a Maker Gear M2, I want to say. Yep, familiar um, with that. At our normal jobs, we had 3D printer experience. We had like all the way from uh, like a, a Stratus. Maker bot all the way up to yeah. like a really expensive one. And we found that dealing with the MakerBot, which was kind of in our price range, we didn't want to, I mean, I don't want <laughs> they may be better now, but back then, they, it was just really unreliable. And so we looked online and found that MakerGear had, like, amazing customer support and and also, like, a great community, which is really helpful. Like, you can, they have all these sorts of, like, guidelines and stuff you can follow. Um, so we went with them. And we couldn't be happier. I mean, the thing is never broken down. No, that's great. And that's super important to remember because you don't want to spend half your time troubleshooting a print. You want to get to exactly. that to that print and like move on. How are you able to prototype the flexible nature of Milton? Because as far as I'm aware, they don't have many, uh, they don't have any silicone filaments. They only have maybe some nylons and things like that. Right. They, unless you buy a really expensive machine, you basically are just printing like uh, rigids. Yeah. ABS yeah. or ELM. Um, so that another part of my background is like the silicone mold making, like two part silicone mold making. Sure. And so basically we printed 3d printed our, um, our first mold for Milton and we printed the, just the, it was basically a three part mold. It was front back and the core. And so after we printed that, then we could just pour two part silicone in there, cure it. And we had our like pretty, I mean, it was very similar to what our final product was as far as like size and all that and flexibility. But um, that gave us a great idea of how it would act. Thanks for sharing that. And that's actually similar to uh, one of the clients that I'm working with. He's done the same thing with his product. I think that's probably the fastest way of prototyping by yourself if you're not sending it out is to create your own molds. And they've got those kits on Amazon. Even if you're yeah. totally new to the game, you can uh, yeah, exactly create casts of all sorts of things around the house and duplicate them. Yeah, it's very it's not difficult at all. I mean, you need some equipment like a vacuum chamber or something, but everything isn't that crazy expensive and you just gotta just do it. <laughs> so many guides online. Right. We actually have a, if anyone is interested on on our blog, uh, there's a recent post we did where we kind of show a little gif or gif of kind of the evolution of Milton from sketches to three D CAD to mm -hmm. rigid prototypes and flexible ones. You kinda of see how how all those different things look along the way. Awesome. I'm gonna link to that from the show notes so that way everybody can take a look. Cool. So you guys created some prototypes. What did you do for the testing? Real life kids? Yes. At that point, our kids were two, right? Yeah, both our kids at our houses were around two or so. Yep. So we had our own test subjects, <laughs> if you want to call them that. And then we also have friends, of course, that have kids. And so that was like our very initial like testing and to see how big his mouth needed to be and how stable he needed to be, all these different things. Yeah, that's a good point. 
I, I was just going to ask you guys if you had a if you tested it through a range of kids or a range of situations or like put it through like a battery because I mean so you, Dan you're a mechanical engineer and I'm sure you guys do this industrial engineering too Justin where you've got like these test cases right where you write out a testing plan and you've got like I'm going to test for like the extremes the minimum and the maximum and what's the largest kid's fist size and what's the you know what's the highest table that it can drop from and all that type of thing did you did go through any of that? Yeah, we did it. I mean, and we did it um, kind of in a, I guess in a, in a, I'll call it a logical, expedited way, maybe where you know thought about what are the real ways this will be used. So an example would be like um, a stain test. I remember doing one of the early you know, silicone prototypes, which even though it wasn't the final material, we we're kind of curious of you know, all right, spaghetti sauce sits on him overnight or jelly, and so we do these different tests, let it sit 24 hours, then you know try to wash it off in the sink or in the dishwasher and see what happens. Um, and food grade silicone and even the casting silicone we use is actually really resistant and resilient and easy to clean. Again, being being just us kind of bootstrap at this point, sending things out for, you know, third party lab testing. It was it was really just doing it on our own um, kind of with, with what we had around us. But with our background in consumer products, you know, we had a good idea of, of the kind of testing that we ultimately would and did do, you know, at a formal test lab. So so that was helpful. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. We don't get into that much at all in the show about some formal testing. Uh, when did you do that? Was that before or after you went to manufacture or to contacted the man manufacturer initially? Yeah. So that's, that would actually be, that was with our production product. Um, so we had, you know, the actual Milton character itself tested um, against toy safety testing. So children's product and toy safety. We don't really market Milton as a toy, um, but it certainly has perceived play value. And so we tested it and designed it to meet toy safety regulations um, so we tested Milton himself and also the children's book in the box it comes with, you know, those are less of a concern, but, you know, as you can imagine, toy set, toy safety testing is really stringent testing. Obviously you're talking about child safety. And, um, so that was really important to us, you know, so as far as there's just aspects of design that kind of, as we designed it, as far as making sure that, you know, air holes and that kind of stuff were factored into it. Um, one thing that really works for our advantage is that being a one piece product, Milton is just a single piece of molded food grade silicone there's no pieces to break off you know and they they did all kinds of tests you know pulling out his teeth and his ears and you know trying to rip them apart um but it, you know silicone is really really durable that's why it's used in a, a lot of different applications so we did you know basically just some quotes at some local um third-party test labs for doing toy safety testing both in the u.s and um we also lumped in i think some canadian and, and european testing there as well just because it you save on costs if you know, the tests are either identical or it might be basically the same test, but just slightly different criteria. Right. There's some overlapping yeah, requirements. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was a long term play to say, you know, we'll spend a little more cost up front, but knowing that eventually we'll want it. So it's jumping ahead a little bit since it was, you know, to be clear with uh, with production product. But we ultimately did complete that. So when you went out, you were finished with a prototype and you did all your testing. You were confident with the design or reasonably confident enough to push the button on production. Talk about your your decision about how to choose the manufacturer and where you went for that. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I think we knew pretty early on with Milton, um, and even before we kind of came up with the Milton concept, but just with whatever product we would ultimately launch, um, was that we wanted to make it in the U.S. Um, for a few reasons. Um, you know, and there's there's pros and cons, you know, to it like anything. Um, we've had a lot of experience with China and in you know other parts of our career and stuff. And, um, you know, you can certainly get lower costs over there and, and things like that. Um, it could also be difficult though, you know, just with the time zone and, and stuff and, um, just, you know, obviously not physically being there. 
um, but also as a children's product, um, it was really important to us from a, a quality and safety perspective that we could, you know, either pick up the phone and, and talk to our factory or, you know, take a plane right out there, which we've done, you know, a few times and check things out for ourselves and, you know, and talk to the team. And we're fortunate to have found um, a really good factory um, in New York um, that we've got a great relationship with. And so, you know, getting to that point, it was definitely quite a process. You know, I mean, there's definitely no silver bullet to it. It, it was a lot of cold calling, cold emailing, you know, just really just a lot of Google searches. Sometimes we'd ask people for references. So I'd like to take a quick break to talk about the one-on-one coaching that I offer entrepreneurs and other small business owners who are launching their physical products. If you're just getting started, I can work with you to create a game plan based on your skill set and budget. We'll go through the product development process together and outline your steps specific to your industry or product. Based on your capabilities, I can suggest ways that you can create or outsource workable prototypes, do feasibility testing, or even just make sure that you're working on an idea that has legs. Most sessions are usually an hour long and we talk on Skype or through the phone. You set the pace and we come up with tasks that you can knock out before we meet again, moving at the speed that you're most comfortable with. I'll help to hold you accountable and make sure that you're biting off a right-sized chunk that works for you. Go to theproductstartup.com and click on the consulting tab to sign up for a call. A good tip is definitely, you know, don't be afraid to ask um, strangers or people, you know, but certainly strangers um, for help because some of the places we contacted, you know, would say, look, you know, this is not in our wheelhouse because in some cases maybe they were a medical um, device manufacturer and they're like, look, our costs are going to be way too high for you, but talk to these guys over here. And so, you know, or if they didn't do that, we would ask sometimes, you know, could you refer us anyone? And they might know because they have contacts in the industry that would refer us to people. Um, and, um, so, you know, ultimately, um, I think it was through, um, just through search results, you know, kind of just, we probably contacted, I don't know, 25, 30 different factories. Um, and you know, some of them, you couldn't even get them to return your call. Um, but others would, and right. you know, most were pretty honest. Um, we try to be very upfront and say, look, we're a startup. We're not, you know, some big company that's going to place an order for 200,000 units initially. Um, so we gave them an idea of what kind of our quantities were and who we were and what we were about. And we wanted someone who was essentially kind of willing to take some risk on us, you know, hopefully for a you know, long-term payback. And ultimately we did, we did find a partner that's been uh, extremely helpful for us. As you went through the process, were there any red flags or any issues that you found while trying to choose a manufacturer that you thought, okay, we're definitely not going to go with these guys or we, we don't want to work with someone that does this. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I mean, like I said, there were, so one thing just for, for, for listeners to know is um, like, so you know, Milton is molded from um, silicone and it's liquid silicone rubber molding is the process, LSR molding, they call it. And it's kind of a niche within the injection molding industry. Um, and a lot of the silicone applications are in medical and there's some military ones. And so one of the things we started finding is that you kind of very quickly get a sense of, you know, what the other products are doing. So we would ask, Hey, what are you, what products are you doing currently? And, you know, you start to hear a lot of, you know, implants or things like that. You you kind of get the sense that, you know, they're operating by some very strict ISO standards, and that's going to relate to higher costs, even if they don't tell you up front. Um, so that was one of our takeaways. Whereas on the flip side, you know, the um, the factory that we ultimately ended up working with, they have a, a really great track record of working with um, other companies that at the time were startups and have gone to produce some some pretty great products, many of them in in the same industry. Um, so it doesn't say that you can't work with a manufacturer that does products outside of the, the market you're looking to launch a product in, but 
if they have experience and a track record in that area, that's definitely a good starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you talk about you know food grade silicone, or you mention child safety requirements, you don't want their eyes to glaze over, or other side of the coin where they say, "Oh yeah, sure, no problem," and then you've got a thousand units of you know non qualifying product. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right with that. So, any issues during manufacturing, or any lessons learned up until this point that you can share? That you know, words of wisdom. Um. Overall, the manufacturing honestly went went pretty smoothly. Um, you know, there's some stuff like you know, I think our actual cycle time for for molding Milton, which you know is basically the, essentially the time to mold one unit, ended up being a little bit higher than initially thought, not by a ton. And we had kind of already had a factor of safety in in there, you know, when when we were doing some calculations. But you definitely want to consider that kind of stuff because stuff, you know, things like cycle times, which can directly impact your costs or Maybe for some folks, the time to assemble or pack out their product. Labor. Yeah, labor costs. You know, mm, mm-hmm. always want to have some factor of safety in there because if you're you're operating on kind of razor thin, you know, this may or may not work financially. You can't essentially overcome any little hiccup like that. That could certainly be an issue, especially at the point we've already sunk all these costs. Right. But you know, overall, you know, the the manufacturing process went really smoothly. You know, where we were pretty confident from from what we had done with our cast you know, casted silicones because it similar material properties. And with silicone, you can pull really big undercuts because it's very flexible, obviously. And so we were pretty confident from what we've seen in, in Justin's cast that we could do it. We never know for sure until you're molding off an actual tool and the actual, you know, production grade material, if it's going to work. Um, so it was kind of a nervous call when we were kind of waiting to hear, hear how it went for the first run. Um, but, but they did a great job. And like I said, this, this factory does a lot of work in more challenging designs and, and unique things. So, Fortunately, that part of it went uh, went pretty well. Yeah, and when you're talking about undercuts, just want to make sure that you know people in the audience that aren't industrial designers and mechanical engineers. Um, so whenever you're creating a plastic product, you've got usually you've got some sort of shape or something that juts out, or there's some sort of a, a taper to it. And silicones, obviously, because being flexible, it's really forgivable for that. But with some of your other plastic products, you have to be really careful when you're making the bolt because the designer has to consider how the plastic is going to be injected in the mold and make sure that it flows properly into the furthest corner of the product, uh, as well as it's able to be ejected out of the mold when you're done. And some of that is mold design, but I mean, some of it's product design. Right. As you've gone through this manufacturing phase, when did you start working on the marketing and, and packaging side of it? So as soon as we basically had the green light for production on the uh, actual silicone piece, then we turn our focus on the um, book because we knew that would be the next like very time consuming part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually that brings up a point of one thing to another. And I think in general, you have a product that has a couple things like a book or a website or app or whatever. You should definitely focus on one, finish it, move on to the next. You can always go back, but just Staying the course on one thing and just getting it done, it makes your life so much easier. <laughs> but um, going back to the actual book, so um, that was a long process. And this is about the time where um, our SLP, Catherine, came on board and really helped us out with this. Because it was basically Dan, myself, and her just doing multiple iterations of this book. Just doing drafts and drafts, adding different tips and doing different photography. I mean, the whole thing was just like so many different drafts. And we also got like friends and family to look over it, like to make sure 
grammar and spelling all that stuff was right. I mean, it took a lot longer than I think we thought it would, but I think yeah. we, it turned out pretty well in the end. I think some point probably early into those drafts, you know, kind of hit us that, you know, to launch, you know, the product with a legitimate <clears throat> children's book would, you know, mean, okay, we kind of have to become authors. And it's, I think almost doing the Milton design because it's a physical product. It's something we're more comfortable with, you know, was writing a children's book and, you know, doing the Justin Dell, the photography and stuff is not something either of us have come close ever doing before. And so, it, you know, to Justin's point about focus, it became really important to, to just really say laser focus. And, you know, we, I, we probably did countless iterations. It'd probably be pretty scary to go back and read the first draft. <laughs> I mean, the current book rhymes and stuff and has a good flow to it. The early ones definitely didn't. And, but some of the family and friends who we shared the draft with, some would kind of say, oh, it's great, whatever. But some kind of gave us the hard truth of, right. look, it's got some good, it's a good core in the middle of it, but it just doesn't flow. And what's happening here? And why is Milton doing this? And it, you know, so some of that honest feedback was was really helpful. Kind of hard to hear, but, you know, certainly in the end, it was really instrumental um, in, in coming out the right book in the end. Yeah. And I'd like to point out for people that haven't seen the book yet. So first of all, it's a children's book, but it's photography, which is pretty cool because you don't see a whole lot of those books. Um, and it kind of jives with the marketing that you've got on the site, which is like a stop action animation. I think all of that is really neat because it's kind of refreshing for a children's product to not be animated. And looking through some of the photos that you took, they're actually pretty funny. You know, where you've got Milton like holding on to, you know, the yellow squash just like by biting on the end of it. It looks like he's like getting carried away. <laughs> I think the products like inject some humor into the marketing or at least the storytelling piece, a little bit of extra for the parents just make it so much easier for you know to increase some of that adoption and it make it easier to even share with other people because if you enjoy it and your kids like it it's just that additional benefit right right exactly and i mean you can kind of think of like pixar doing this where their their movies are their kid movies but they always have these like subtle jokes for the parents so the parents can enjoy as well and not saying we're pixar or anything but we definitely took inspiration from them like trying to make it fun for everyone not just the kid i think as parents too we all we all have those those books that we read to our kids at night some of them we enjoy reading other ones when maybe when your little one picks it out you kind of like ah this one again <laughs> you know it's, right, it's just right. make that interesting to the parents we wanted to at least keep it engaging for the parent and maybe a little humor in there for them as well no i love that that's a great idea to so talk about the box a little bit you're using a brown box so it's an unbleached cardboard but it's it's got a nice modern design feel to it how did you come up with that design and and talk a little bit about the reasoning for springing for something that to me looks uh, pretty retail ready, which is usually not what people do whenever they first launch, you know, their first packaging is something for mail order for or for Internet order. And the packaging isn't usually as important. Yeah, that was like the third phase of the process. After the book was done, we started focusing on the packaging. Again, tons and tons of different iterations, different designs we tried to think of. In like throughout the middle of all these iterations, we realized that honestly, it was one of the huge drivers was cost, but also we also wanted to make it 100% recyclable. And mm -hmm. so when I when I talk about cost, like it's amazing how many what adds up when you want like more than one color. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy. Just like we that was probably one of the things we knew least about was packaging design. And like printing and all that whole process. So did you have any inserts or anything in the box like die cut 
things to keep Milton in place? There is one piece that, that's basically glued in there. And so the box can be folded flat. And then as you, when, when, we, when the boxes are assembled and, and kind of fold into the box structure, then it kind of forms basically a pocket for Milton and then a pocket for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just all, I think it's E-flute, craft colored uh, corrugate and all from the U.S. as well. But as Justin was saying, you know, all different costs, each different color of ink, you know, adds up and, you know, you can do other stuff too. You can put, you know, laminates over it to kind of give it a soft touch feel, but it does all add up. And when you're not at, you know, massive volumes, these kind of, you know, printed things, the book and the box, um, both being produced in the U.S. especially are very price sensitive to volume. So the more you run, it gets significantly cheaper. We knew initially being a startup, you know, we wouldn't be running millions of them. So um, so that all had to kind of be factored in. Yeah. Can you share what your initial buy was or what confidence did you have whenever you first came out of the gate that you knew you could sell X number of these? Like, how did you come up with that number? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, we didn't really, you know, you see a lot of times, you know, some people might calculate and say, you know, the size of the market is X. And if we can only get, you know, 0.2% of this market, oh, right, right, we right. this size. And you see that in Shark Tank a lot. And, I, I, I mean, hate that. I, wow, that's <laughs> just like a, one of my like, top not, three pet peeves. <laughs> yeah, we're not necessarily a fan of it. I mean, there there's reasons for doing it. And, uh, you know, it, it's fine if people do that. But to be honest, it's difficult to put a number on it. You know, we knew our own, you know, you know, we basically funded ourselves and um, a little bit of, you know, friends and family money, um, but no, no outside investment or partners, anything like that. We, we wanted to retain ownership of it. So we knew kind of what our, some of our internal restraints are from a, a cash perspective, you know, and, and based on our product cost, what we could do. So it's, you know, certainly not, we're not ordering in the hundreds of thousands or something like that. We kind of would talk to the different vendors, try to understand what their, you know, what their MOQs were, how that stacked up. And so we had a whole build spreadsheet of, okay, if we buy this many of the box and this many of the book and this many of Milton, here's where our product costs are. And, Obviously, the more you buy of anything, the costs go down. Absolutely. The way that with, you know, you know, we, we put everything in there and it doesn't work out, then, you know, we're, we're kind of out of luck. And um, we, we felt pretty confident about the product. I mean, we did one thing kind of going back a ways was even before we did, I think really before we had the physical prototypes, we put Justin put together like a nice little one page concept sheet, you know, just a PDF. And we sent that to a lot of family members and friends. But then we also went out on Reddit, you know, where you and I originally connected. And there's some different parenting groups in there. They call them, you know, subreddits. Um, so there's like Momit and Parenting and, and all these different ones, and, and as well as entrepreneurial ones. And so we would go out there and kind of ask if people were interested in kind of doing a survey um, for really just to help us. And we promised, you know, long term, you know, we'd, we'd give them a discount stuff, which we did. But it was amazing the kind of response, you know how many people volunteered, you know, I think we had probably over a hundred people nice. uh, willing to just basically, we sent them, you know, a link um, to a PDF and, you know, it kind of showed the price of the product and what, yeah, at that point, I think they were just sketches maybe mm-hmm. um, of, of what it would look like, but Hey, it came with the book and, you know, we donated a dollar for every unit made and all this kind of stuff made in the U S see what their response was. And that helped us gauge what other parents would think, because when you're producing a product yourself, you're so close to it. And even though you know that it, it can be hard to sometimes to see the truth and separate yourself from that. We saw a lot of really good interest, but it helped us refine certain things that maybe needed more, uh, more attention as well. That's a great point. Can you talk a little bit about how long that process took from getting, creating a sketch to all the way going to manufacture? From the time at least that we kind of came up with the initial, yeah, say the first time Milton was written down anywhere or a sketch of him was made. Yeah, it was probably later spring until then when we at least kind of had, I mean, until we launched Milton in um, 
June of 2016. So if that first sketch was around May or something, you know, that overall process from initial sketch to launching the product in the market was, you know, around a year, give or take. And less than that until the point where we had kind of finalized the milk design and a little later finalized the book and finalized the packaging. You know, but within within a couple months of the initial idea, we kind of kept internal for a bit. But then as soon as we felt like we knew where it was going, we didn't want to get too far down the road and certainly sink too much cost into it until we had, you know, kind of concept tested again through Reddit and friends and family and really every, every way we could before we went too far down that path. It's just something that I always ask because people have these high expectations that they they, you know, they want a product in stores in three months or something. And that's just really difficult to do. And so I'm glad that you guys are you know, experienced product designers and you're saying that, hey, it took a year. But at the same time, you spent a lot of time refining your design and getting a lot of that feedback. So it gave you that confidence to know that when you do hit the market, you're pretty close to the target. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can never know for sure. Um, but we, you know, before sinking a lot of our own money into it and time, we, we want to be as confident as we could. I think we made the right choices and, and, you know, not everything was done perfectly for sure. But, you know, overall, that that early concepting and concept feedback, marketing feedback was, was really instrumental for us. So did you protect your idea in any way as you were going through this process? Yeah, so the idea of, um, you know, when it comes to intellectual property, it's something we're familiar with with our kind of our summer background consumer products. Um, so it was always kind of front in mind. And so we're actually in the process now of, of, you know, doing the steps to go through and, and get, um, get protection, um, primarily from a utility perspective, um, you know, as well as, you know, we've, we've done work on, on the trademark side as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's one of those things where they say, you know, if, you know, a knockoff can be kind of the greatest compliment. We don't necessarily want to see that. And we haven't just yet. Um, but, um, but at the same time, you know, we, we kind of take some practical steps to kind of mitigate that risk while not not going over the top because you can you can certainly spend, you know, sink just tons and tons of money into that um, into that process of all the legal expenses and filings and such. Um, sure, so we, sure. we try to take a balanced approach uh, when it came to that. So you, did you file like a provisional patent application or something like that before you started working yeah. on everything else? Yeah. Great. And for each of you, what's your best tip to the people that are listening that are in the position where you were a year ago, where you just started sketching, or maybe you're kind of in the middle of prototyping and you're, you're kind of stuck. What would you tell people? Good question. Um, aside from that tip about focusing, which I think is probably my number one tip, I would say <laughs> as corny as it sounds, YOLO, <laughs> basically. Gosh. Yeah, just like, go for it. Seriously. I mean, you, aside from, time and money, which are things that, well, time you can never, can never get back, but like going through like Kickstarter or whatever, you don't technically need that much money. You can kind of, mm -hmm. there are ways around it, but there's absolutely nothing for you to lose. I mean, you just have to get over that hurdle of like, <clears throat> oh, maybe it won't do that well. You know, no matter what happens, you will learn from it and move on whether you're successful or not. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, I guess for mine, one thing I definitely realized, I guess throughout it all, was, you know, I mean, both Justin and I, you know, we have families and, and busy lives like most people do. So it can be hard just to find the time to to work on something like this. Um, but but even if you could only find, you know, 20 minutes a day when you first wake up or before you go to bed or you know, half hour here, 15 minutes there to kind of keep chipping away at something, whether it's you know, trying to get marketing feedback, or we spend a lot of time reaching out to bloggers and 
um, you know, trying to trying to get the word out there about a product. You know, even those little efforts daily or weekly, whatever you can do, really do add up in a big way over time. It, it can be easy to overlook the you know the significance that just you know a little bit each day can can add up to. Great tips, yeah, from both of you guys. Totally agree. Uh, you have to be able to to make some incremental progress. Otherwise, if just from a mental standpoint, if you feel like you're not making any headway, you're going to be your worst enemy there. Um, so guys, thanks again for coming on the show. Where can people find Milton if they wanted to get that for uh, their own kids or they're giving it as a gift? Yeah. Thanks again for having us, Philip. Um, so you can buy it on our website at mealswithmilton.com. Um, and we also sell on Amazon as well. Perfect. Thanks again for coming on the show. It was great having you on. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. And also, it was awesome to have a, a listener on the show that created a product. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks was, a lot. Was fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Dan and Justin for sharing how they brought Mealtime with Milton to the market. Here are my takeaways for this week. Number one, don't be afraid to ask. Dan and Justin found their manufacturer by searching online and asking for recommendations. So don't be afraid to cold email or cold call startups in your space and ask them for advice. Meet with other creators in your city. I'm a mentor at a local startup incubator and all of the businesses there are happy to help each other out. And number two, tell better stories. Many of the top brands have great engagement with their customers and a loyal following. And I suspect that's also because they're good at telling stories around their products how has your product made your customer's life better? What can you do to increase the adoption of your product by getting the customer emotionally invested? And number three, focus on incremental gains. If you're just starting to work on your product, it can be hard to make progress among other priorities like a day job, family, housework. Commit to working a little every day. Small tasks add up and small wins will help you stay motivated. If you'd like to get these takeaways in your inbox, just go to theproductstartup.com, scroll to the footer of any page, and sign up to the weekly wrap-up. Thanks again for joining me today. I hope that you're taking action on developing your products, and I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Mako Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end -end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Mako Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.